going? No, man, you got the right classroom. Come on in, take a seat beside me, my friend. Hey, look, here come T.A. Charlie. Let's see what he got to say. It's Friday morning, and you're watching The Road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic. No, Homeroom no, is on no, Rumble. No, no, Mr. Charlie, I am not oh. Professor Bo- Joe Bakanovic. Have you oh, not seen no. the color of my shirt? Oh, no. Hi, Dr. Evil. Oh, no. Dr. Evil is in the studio today. This is going to be a show. <laughs> anyway, if, if you go to Rumble and you search the channels for the Road to Concord, it's one word. When you find it, go ahead and you click follow. That way you'll be able to come back and maybe Dr. Evil will be here again. <laughs> I'm a, it, 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 yeah, it. Easy for him to say. Gosh, I can't even read this morning. He got me all messed up. Poor Dr. Evil, he's, he just affects you. It might mean you got to set up an account, but it's fast, it's easy, it's free. I did it, you can do it. I think maybe even Dr. Evil could do it. For those technologically challenged members of the class, you can also catch us on Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter, TwitX. 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 And sometimes on YouTube, that won't be today because when Dr. Evil's here, uh, we will get censored. Uh, then you can catch a podcast after the show. It's uploaded to Podbean, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Sometimes a bit shoot, but only when we're not being censored by YouTube. Uh, just look for The Road to Concord. You can go to the blog page. That's theroadtoconcord.com. That's where you find all your show notes, study notes, and handouts for the class. Finally, you can email a professor at joe at com. He's a little slow. But then again, he actually answered an email on the same day today. So, you know, you never know. But do not, he, he, do he not, do not tell the monkeys this. They might expect Mr. Bakanovic to do this all the time for themselves. That's right. Yeah. So, so do, you know, do not do, be careful what you tell me, yeah. monkeys. And it also depends on how hard the questions are you send. So, oh, so well, in this case, yeah. in, in this case, Mr. DSG, ask a good question. And, Mrs. Bakanova, because maybe let me do the show next Thursday and we talk about the, the conspiracy theories around the Clinton family. <laughs> oh, boy, is that a teaser. The, the Clintons is one of our best little minions. They do good work for us, yes. Yes, yes. yes. phones are on today. Hydra has good, good, good plans with the Clintons, yes, yes. But only for registered numbers. And hopefully if you're registered, you've got our number. If you don't, then you go to this next step. If you wish to call in and a regular classmate, you may request phone access through an email, and I'll think about it. If you find our classes helpful, please click the thumbs up, like, subscribe, and share it with those you think could benefit from it. Just warn them that Joe is an acquired taste, uh, and so is Dr. Evil. Uh, this show is listener-sponsored, meaning we do not solicit business advertising because they don't like Dr. Evil. And we are not limited in the content we provide. Uh, with that said, we do ask for your participation on a value-for-value value basis. If you find our show of value to you, then you provide an equivalent portion of your labor and treasure through the donut link on the Road to Concord blog page and the show description on Rumble and in the comments on the other streams. And thank you to all of you that do help us out to keep the lights on and everything rolling here. Hey, we all know T.A. Charlie isn't on there. Now, just stay seated and give it a chance. You'll soon realize we not might be the smartest, but we each independently form opinions based on reason and logic. We're free thinkers. 
Let's see what the road to Concord will profess. No, 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 Professor Mr. Bakanova today. No, Professor It's Dr. Evil. And look, uh, uh, Mr. Beverly Dalton, she says, uh, Baltus, she says, good morning, all you awesome Americans. And I agree. All you good little jihadis and communist soldiers that have been sneaking in and have become new Americans, thanks to our agent, Mr. Biden. Yes, yes, I know that Ms. Baltrus is talking about these new Americans, not the old Americans that, you know, think about the founding fathers and all those evil white slave owners and those rich people. Yes, yes, yes. She has acknowledged Hydra's success in making new Americans. You can't train the old meat monkeys, so you just exchange them for new meat monkeys who make lots of other little new meat monkeys to, you know, drown out the old meat monkeys that just wouldn't listen to Dr. Hydra. I mean, Dr. Evil. I think we're going to have to get rid of Dr. Evil for today. <laughs> he's, he's, he, he's having too much fun with this day. Good morning. It's uh, Founders Friday, Fallacy Friday. We're going to be talking about the Founding Fathers and the government the way it's supposed to have been versus the way that Dr. Evil has our government working today. <laughs> and he might pop in and out, kind of like I'm possessed, which might, might, might be. I don't know. Y'all have to figure that one out for yourselves. I want to start, and, and we will probably, I see he's in the house. Mr. Zinker is lurking, lurk, lurk, lurk out there. I'm pretty sure we will get his ire up at some point here. Uh, the, the subject of today's show is going to be the founder's theory of government versus our current lawless government. In this case, theory doesn't mean it's something that may or may not be. Uh, this is the government model that the founders set up. Okay, this is another way of using the word theory. Um, it, it's like the theory of Christianity. Um, there's no theory to it. You just either decide to work according, live your life across according to the teachings of the Bible, or you don't. Well, you're either going to run your government according to the teachings and the principles of good government as the founding fathers understood it, or you don't. So in this case, I could have said paradigm of government. It would have been a better word. It would have been a synonym here. But on the road to Concord, we tend to be a little bit more sophisticated with our vocabulary, meaning that we've actually read the dictionary. Prior to the internet, you know, an old copy of the dictionary, which is that little red book over there from 1984, Merriam-Webster's dictionary, back when words used to still mean what they meant. And you'll find that there's many different meanings of the word theory. So we're going off of paradigm. Anyhow, founding father's paradigm of how the government ought to work. And looky, looky here, we have a slideshow. And it says government. Dum, da, dum, dum. Yes, yes, Mr. Pekanovic, this is good. This is where Hydra lives. Get out of the way, Dr. Evil. I told you, he's liable to poke his nose in here because this is going to make him all excited today. What? constitutes good government. Before we have our discussion, let's do a little what should be review, but mm, might be first time y'all have ever seen some of this. Behold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governors. Why was government designed? To secure these rights, 
government is instituted among men and draws its powers from the consent of the governed. Meaning if the governed no longer consent, government no longer has power. That means I can remove myself from the government by well, withdrawing technically my consent? You, yes, the Founding Fathers said you could take your toys and go back into the wilderness. So these and live people as a, that claim they're sovereign citizens actually are? Yes. The problem is Interesting. they're trying to live within the society they want to leave. And the Founding Fathers said that's going to be a problem. If you want to withdraw from society, you're supposed to go live out in the woods like, you know, the Native Americans did. Away from society. So the sovereign citizens actually like want to... Right. Exactly. Now the Amish are doing it correctly. Cool. So that's how you do it. Not the way the sovereign citizens do. They want to have their cake and eat it too. So, yes. Those are just... Those are less sophisticated versions of the Amish. The Amish are like, let's not talk about it and demand people treat you that way. Let's not demand that people think that I'm a sovereign citizen, you know, like saying now I'm, I'm a man, now I'm a woman. The Amish are like, let's just go do it. So, yeah, they're doing it right. And notice that most people leave them the heck alone. So to continue, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, meaning it no longer protects your rights, it is the right, capital R, right, not proper thing to do but it is a sovereign right of the people capital p meaning the collective body that's the pol politic body politic to alter or to abolish it meaning the government and to institute new government laying its foundations on such principles and organizations as its power in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness now happiness there is the same one you know pursuit of happiness this is not your <laughs> happy happy joy joy this is not ren and stimpy happiness and for those of you who were born too late ren and stimpy is a really cool cartoon that annoys the snot out of you it was on the lines of barney the dinosaur at least it was to me anyway this is the pursuit of the virtuous and moral life as we will see before the end of the day's show so prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same objective evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, which is where we are today, it is the right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Mm, I think the Founding Fathers would be shooting today, but they were a different people than we are. We will get to that today. Such has been the patient suffrage of these colonies, and such is now necessity which constrains them to alter their former system of government. The history of the present King of Great Britain, or in this case, King Biden, is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To provide this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. And then he goes on to list a whole bunch of things the king had been doing in violation of the charters. Act to Mr. Jefferson. The purpose of government is to enable the people of a nation to live in safety and happiness. Government exists for the interest of the governed and not for the governors. I think 
D.C. has this backwards. Jefferson also said, the care of human life and happiness and not their destruction is the first and only object of good government. This is not Ren and Stimpy happiness. This is right of conscience. The care of human life and the right of their conscience. This is why I tell you over and over and over again, you must go back to the time in which the language was used and investigate how they're using it. Because today, if I tell you you're gay, you might think I'm talking about being homosexual, not happy. Or if I call you a a faggot, you might think I'm using a derogatory slur about a homosexual. Or somebody a little older might think, well, I'm calling you a cigarette, but when in actuality, I'm calling you a bundle of sticks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It all depends on when time that word is being used. Context is everything. Mr. Jefferson also says the chief purpose of government is to protect life. Abandon that, and you have abandoned all. Abortion, anybody? Anyhow, we the people are the rightful masters of both Congress and the courts. Not to overthrow the Constitution, but to overthrow the men who pervert the Constitution. Abraham Lincoln, and amen, and amen, even though I don't particularly care for this president. He and Woodrow freaking Wilson, kind of like buddies to me, but that's a different story and a different show. So where are we going to go today? Well, first things first, as is my want, start with the homework, go to the road to concord.com and you'll find the links that I'm going to be playing with today. Here's the first one. If it'll come up from the New York Times. Justices rule the police do not have a constitutional duty to protect anyone. Oh, really? Okay. Break out the old logic beanie, boys and girls. It's time to noodle on this one. If the court, okay, founding fathers said the only reason for government is to protect the people. The court comes along and says the police which is the enforcement protection arm of the government, the police, i.e. government, no longer has a duty to protect you. Do you realize what the government, what the court just said? The government is no longer the government. Didn't say that, Joe. Yes, it did. Logical extension. All right. Quick rabbit. Time to learn how logic works. If... Under the ideal that the founding fathers established, the primary purpose of government is to protect your life. And if the way the government has chosen to do that is through law enforcement, law enforcement is taking your right to self-defense. That's the first, that's one of the first orders of natural law. All things have a right to defend their life. You look at the at the, at the world out there and you say, okay, uh, lion attacks, I don't know, Sim, uh, the Pumbaa, the, the warthog. Warthog has a right to try to beat up on the lion to pre- protect the warthog's life. Yes? Yes. So do you. You have a right to protect your life. It's an inherent natural right. It comes as part of being a living organism. Law of nature. In a civil society... What we're going to do is we're going to say, rather than me having to defend myself all the time and Charlie having to run around defending himself, and we'll all do, what we're going to do is we're going to constitute a government and we are going to collectively agree that we will transfer 
our right of civil defense, of natural personal defense to the government, the government now has to, is duty bound. This is their sole purpose is to, you protect me now. I'm not going to do it. That We're not going to all run around lawless protecting ourselves as we see fit. We're going to let the government do the protecting. We have willingly lent our natural right to this thing we call the government. It is now government's duty to protect us from each other. If and when the government refuses to do that, it has renounced its sole purpose for existence. And it is no longer doing its job. It broke the contract, social contract. It has violated the contract. When you violate a contract, it's null and void. This isn't a compact. This isn't a covenant. This is a contract. That's social contract, the theory of government of our founding fathers. So I, we, you, me, we all collectively told the governments, you are going to do out, you're going to exercise our right of self-defense for us through both the military and through the police. Now the courts come along and say, nah, the police have no duty to protect you. The court's ruling dissolved the government at all levels when that, with that ruling. Yes, it did. Natural extension. I have a right to self-defense. We contract socially through the Constitution, be it local, city, county, state, federal. We give our right. We lend it to you. We can always take it back. It's inherent. It's in us. It can never be taken away forever. We can pull it back. But we lend that authority to the government and say, you exercise it on our behalf, according to the rules, you know, the Constitution or whatever state ratification, your law, whatever, that's the contract. Now you got to protect me. And the court comes along and says, they no longer have a duty to do that. The court has broke the contract. As soon as the court broke the contract, that right of self-defense devolves back back onto you. And the government is no longer government. It is a dictatorial, tyrannic power trying to force its will on yours. It is no longer legitimate. It lost its authority. And in the process, so did the courts. So since that ruling that we were looking at, we have not been under any law anywhere, at least not federal. And this is dated in 2005. Anybody got a problem with the logic? You think you can defeat me on this? I'd be more than willing for somebody to call in and tell me I'm wrong about this. Logic is on my side here. But does anybody care? And by that, I mean, are you willing to pick up, what did the what did the Declaration of Independence say? As soon as the government does this, what you see on your screen right now, you have a duty to do something about the government. Has anybody done that in this country? Nope. We just carp and moan and kick and scream and expect somebody else to fix it. Last I read the book, Yahweh says, who's going to go for me? And these people who are always not the ones you'd expect to go look around and say, well, if nobody else is going to do it, here I am, Lord, send me. And then Yahweh equips that person to do the job he needs him to do. Why? Because nobody else would do it. So he said, send me. So I end up with a drunk person who can't talk. I end up with somebody who's a, an adulterous murderer. I end up with all sorts of criminal people doing great things for the kingdom of, of Yahweh. Uh, 
who's doing that for this country now? Hold on to that. That's going to get to something we're going to get to today. That's 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 in today's discussion. So let me see if I can't go to the next one. Five Supreme Court cases the police and the public should know. Hmm. Some of the most important U.S. Supreme Court cases for law enforcement and are either misunderstood or entirely unknown by the average citizen. And I put this in here for so you can read it. It's about the use of force, search and seizure, and conclusions and all this stuff. You, you, you're welcome to look at that. I put that in there for your purposes, your edification. But what it's going to come down to is something that we can noodle through ourselves. And we're about to. A little bit more logic. The founding fathers, natural law, natural rights. Most people start with natural law, natural rights, start with your right to life. If you've been part of this show, you know we go one step before that. You have a right to your free will. Now, where does that come from? Before the end of the day, I'll prove it to you, but it essentially comes from this, the Bible. In the, in the, in the founding paradigm, theory of this United States, it comes from the Bible. But the Bible doesn't give you a right to life. It doesn't. God never promised you your life. He promised you your free will. That's all he ever promised you. He claims your life is his. And he claims everything else is his. You have a free will to decide whether or not you're going to exercise your rights to his service or to your own. But now we'll just set that aside. But this is why on the road to Concord, your primary first natural right is to your free will, the right of conscience. If you are reading the Founding Fathers, you will run into that all the time. You'll write in, run into the right of conscience. And what they're talking about there is the pursuit of happiness, the right to pursue the moral and virtuous life. That was a legal concept at the time of the founding of this country. So the, if you have a right to something, it naturally follows you have a right to whatever you must have. Logic, this is Fallacy Friday. The logical term is necessary. Meaning you absolutely have to have it in order to survive. But what does that mean I have a right to? In order to exercise my free will, I have to have a body, a life. I have to have life of some sort. And in this material world, that's your body, your living body. So now, because I have a right to my free will, I have a right to my life. And my life is, is in my body, and I have a right to exercise my free will. So in other words, I have a right to use my body, my labor. Well, in order to keep my body alive, I must have oxygen, water, and food, sustenance. So now I have a right to these. I don't have a right to them. I have a right to pursue them. Now pay attention. If I have free will and the right to my labor through my body, my body and my life, I can use my labor however I want. I need oxygen, water, and food to eat, but that does not mean I have a right for anybody to bring that to me. I have to choose to use my labor, exercise my free will to go find my sustenance. To I have to sustain myself. Now, this is where it gets really complicated for the average progressive. The moment you think that you have a right to tell other people what to do to keep you alive, you've screwed up. That's You're now trampling on somebody else's free will. You can't 
force them to do this, which makes welfare illegal under the founders' paradigm. And they said so. Welfare of any type, socialism, secular humanism, any type of collective ideology is illegal under the Constitution and Declaration. All right, why? Because you're trampling on the primary right of another, their free will, and you're trampling on their life. You're trampling on their ability to exercise their will through their labor to obtain that which they need to live, what is necessary for them to live. Food, water, air, shelter from the environment, et cetera, et cetera. These are necessities. These are the only necessities to live. Coincidentally, those are the only things Paul tells you you need in the book, in the Bible. Yes, Paul says those are your necessities. Not a house even. He says your cloak. As long as you have food and water and you're breathing and you have your cloak, Paul says you have what you need to live. Everything else is a privilege. Now, according to the founding fathers, welfare is the government forcing one person to work for the right of another. That, I don't care what you want to call it, slavery, I don't care. Whatever word you want to assign to it, that is the government trampling on the free will of another citizen for your behalf. And if you voted for that, you have directly trampled on the will of that other citizen through your vote, through your actions, through who you've elected. This is a violation of natural law, natural rights, as our founding fathers understood it. And they said so. Madison, just the idiot who wrote the Constitution and took the notes, said that there's nothing in the federal government that allows for welfare. And there would be nothing under the states that would allow it either under the founding fathers' ideology of how the law worked. We're going to get to that before the day's over. Where are we going with all this? As soon as a government violates these basic principles, according to the founding fathers, it is an error. If it refuses to correct itself, the states correct it. The federal government, the states should correct it. If the states are in error, the people need to correct it, either the counties or the people themselves. If the state refuses to correct, it is no longer a legitimate government. The power devolves back to the people, and now the people have a duty to do something about this. Well, we're not doing that. There's a reason we're not doing that. We've devolved from an even more basic duty that the founding fathers would have never had a problem with. There are certain states that won't let you collect rainwater. You have a right to the rainwater. Nobody can own the rainwater, not even under our constitution. So where's the state get off claiming to be able to, well, the only person who owns the rain is God under the founding fathers understanding. So what is the state claiming to be? God. And it's taking away your right to water. Under the carbon taxes, they're going to try and take away your right to air. They've already taken your way your right to food because they tell you you can't hunt and fish without their permission. You need a license. The government is trying to take the place of God, form and function. Not the words. I don't care what language you use. This is logical extension. If the government's actions match the definition, that's what you apply the word to. And in this case, if it provides your sustenance, you know, Yahweh says, I will provide for you, just like the sparrows and the, and the lilies and the grass in the field. He says, I'll provide your needs. Well, if the government wants to take the place of Yahweh to govern you and provide your needs and not allow you to do that for yourself, it is by action taking the place of the government. Well, that violates natural law 
at its very core, which means our government is illegitimate. Every way we're going to slice and dice this, our government is illegitimate. It's tyrannical. It is a beast, and it is destroying life, not preserving it. By not trying to fight this pandemic of drug abuse, encouraging it even. And by actively, in, in next Thursday, when we talk about the Clintons, you'll see that the government has actively taken part in drugging America. They make a lot of money off of it. That's the destruction of life. That is a violation of government's primary duty, according to Jefferson. And Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence. The Declaration of Independence is the soul of America. It is the what and the why. The Constitution is just the how. It, just the how. But the, the, the nephish, the will of America is the people. That's where we're driving at before today is over. We're going to get to that. Oh, the next one, you have those cases. I want to show you something else that's going on right now. This is lawlessness. The legal experts dust off the Postal Act of 1792. And it was signed into law by George Washington as a historical proof that Trump is wrong, that not one authority shows president is the officer of the United States. What this is about is Trump is arguing that you can't prosecute him under the 14th Amendment about no officer of the United States can be prosecuted, you know, can hold office if they've conducted sedition, you know, an insurrection. So Trump is saying, well, I wasn't an officer of the United States. So they said, you are an officer of the United States. You're the president. And they think they've defeated Trump with this. This is just a little aside. This shows you the lawlessness in the thinking. That's why I put this story in here. Why is this? A, this is actually a victory for Trump. When, they, when, the, when the left goes, see, look, you are an officer. You were the president. That's an officer. So now we can't prosecute you. No, actually, you can't. Now you just admitted his argument. You can't prosecute him now. Why? because he was the president still at that time. He was still legally the president. In order for you to prosecute him, you must first impeach him. Well, he's no longer in office. So now we're in a constitutional conundrum. Can you try the president for crimes that he committed while president when you can no longer impeach him? The Constitution would imply, no, you can't. Because it says before you can try the president for a crime committed in office, you must first impeach him. He committed the crime in office, but he's no longer the president, so you can no longer impeach him. So now what do you do? You're in a catch-22. And the left walked itself right into that. President Trump, when you're going to get legal beagle-ish, President Trump is immune from prosecution now. Even though he actually didn't commit sedition by definition. But... Uh, Put that aside. This is logic. If the Constitution says that in order to prosecute the president for a crime while committed in office, you must first impeach and convict him and remove him from office, and then you can try him. January 6th, President Trump was still the president at that time when that happened, but he wasn't after the end of the day. So can Congress um, impeach a former president? Does not give that authority in the Constitution. Oh. It can only be a sitting president. This is a quite a conundrum. Yes. So if you're going to get into the world of legal beagles, President Trump's, I mean, if you're going to stick strictly to the law, this is a checkmate. The left yeah. walked themselves right into it. Now, I don't know if his lawyers understand this, 
but this is this is legal language just the same way as what we started with when they said that the police no longer have a duty to protect you it, then the the court delegitimized the entire government the entire federal government and in the states too because that was a ruling on state there is no federal police or at least there's not supposed to be so that was a ruling on the state police catch 22 in the law yes and this is not the way the law is supposed to work before the show is over today the founding fathers addressed this i will show you second hour of this show is going to rock some worlds jack uh, <laughs> charlie's already seen some sneak peek of what's coming and it is it's dr evil stuff which is why he's lurking in the shadows here today so that's why i put this story up there for you the, earlier i think it was last week we had um we had a caller from one of your classmates you know the the idea that the police the first duty is to protect themselves you know and they, they don't have to do anything if their li life is in jeopardy that's not the way the founding fathers would explain law enforcement's role in things law enforcement it used to say to protect and to serve on our cop cars you go back to one out of 12 you know and that's what it said on their car protect and serve and they always showed that somewhere along the line in the beginning or end of the show they're there to protect how do you protect somebody if they're being shot at by a bad guy if you're not going to go in there and put yourself in danger in order to protect the citizen so you've disarmed the citizen because you want to be the only one with arms because you're going to take over the citizen's duty to protect themselves. You're going to do it for them, but then you're going to get a ruling that says, but no, you know, I'm the only one with a gun. I'm the only one to protect you against the bad guy, but I don't have a duty to protect you. And I don't have to risk my life in order to do whatever it is. I, you know, whatever. You're not a cop anymore. You're not. Now you're a stormtrooper doing the bidding of an illegal organization calling itself a government. Where we're at right now in this country, it is not the government. It is a, it's a mob. It's a crime syndicate. You could literally, if we had honest courts, I could make a slam dunk case for a RICO violation against the federal government right now across the board. I could put the whole lot right down to the smallest janitor in jail for, for organized crime. Because that's exactly what's going on right now. If we care about the letter of the law. Eh, we're not worried about that, right? How about this one, boys and girls? Let me see if I can fix this for you real quick. Here we go. This is from Not the Bee. This is uh, January 18th, 2024. It says, report, Treasury Division told banks to flag terms like MAGA and Trump on statements. Note, Bible and Bass Pro Shop purchases to find domestic terrorists. Hmm. That one, you'd have to read the article, but it gets worse. This is from Breitbart, same thing. Feds asked banks to search America's records for gun retailers and words like Trump and MAGA and for Bible purchases. That is a direct violation of the First Amendment. You are not, the federal government has nothing to do with religion. And the Fourth Amendment. Well, this is also Fourth and this is Fifth. You have a right to be secure and you well, are persons and yes. papers and things. Your records are also part of yours. If I need a HIPAA to go get you, you need a you need a search warrant to go get these records from these banks. This there was no search warrant given to these people. And there couldn't be. Because here's another thing. If you've read the Fourth Amendment lately, in order to get a search warrant, I need a few things that they no longer require. 
You need the person telling you what you're looking for. And that person must tell you what you're looking for and where you expect to find it. So if I go into a house with a search warrant because I'm looking for drugs in the closet and I see an illegal gun on the bed, today the courts say, well, it's out in plain sight. I can have that. No, you can't. Not according to the Fourth Amendment. The Fourth Amendment said all you can go collect is the drugs if they're in that closet. Does not give you a right to search the entire house. Joe, you're sounding like a liberal. The, 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 the bad guys are going to have too much freedom. Once upon a time when I was a fascist, when I was younger and I believed all this crap, like the government was God and it was never going to do any wrong. When I was young, I was a fascist, essentially because I believed that lie. I thought, well, yeah, let them search wherever they want. Shouldn't even need. I smelled pot in his car, so I searched his car. No, that's you. you need a search warrant. We don't do that anymore. So I used to think these liberal lawyers that are just nitpicking the law to death, they were actually right. They were actually right. But now that's that's a liberal on a different sense. Today, we'd call that lawyer a libertarian. Liberal today is a progressive, which is where the fascist actually is. So when I was younger, I was a progressive. Why not? You know, when you're younger, if you're not a socialist, communist, progressive of some sort, you have no heart. Well, I had a heart. I grew up. Now I'm a conservative because I have a brain too. There's a lot of grownups that have never become conservative. Ipso facto, no brain. Not telling you you're stupid. I'm telling you you don't use what, whatever might be between your ears. But this, this, this article right here, you don't have any right to go looking for their political affiliations. That's freedom of expression, freedom of the press. You have that right. You have freedom of speech. This right here is the stuff of dictators. One of the other stories I grabbed for you today, this is off MSN. It was here just this morning. Jailing and killing Americans. Experts issue dire warning on Trump's latest claims. Said if we elect him, he's going to go full pogrom and he's going to put everybody in jail and concentration camps to get retribution. That's a what if. And when you read the article, true to form, they got to make some serious reaches to get there. But... That's exactly what Biden's doing right here. Going through the banks. And if they find this information, if they want it, they're go- they don't want this information for nothing. They're going to accuse you of being a domestic terrorist. Matter of fact, they already have. The Epoch Times. Check that headline out, boys, boys, girls. Democrats bring bill to prohibit armed citizen militias. According to the lawmakers, the legislation clarifies that these domestic extremists, paramilitary operations, are in no way protected by our Constitution. Guess what? Democrats are right. That type of militia is not protected by the Constitution. Now, if my local government gets behind it, now it is protected by the Constitution. But I bet you this law they wrote won't differentiate. And I bet you this law they wrote won't go after the Black Panthers who were armed and militant and standing out front of election polls, intimidating people who might have voted for the Republican. This was back under Obama. Nobody went after them. That was actually campaign uh, interference, real stuff. They were armed militia. Nobody goes after them. Nobody goes after BLM. They're an armed militia. These people who are trying to defend the Constitution are being called domestic terrorists. I have a question on that. Yes. Um, 
because you talk about you know the militia being kind of it has to be under government it has to be under a government authority if you as a group got with your local county sheriff and said i would like to start a militia and i would like your you know uh approval and support would that be sufficient if he agreed to okay yes because he's an elected official right that's what i was thinking but yes so there you go that's how you do it yeah the founding fathers never told us to act lawlessly not once and they told us lawless action was counter to natural law and natural rights the pro the the first again we're going to get to this in the second hour if you're a free and self-governing people and you're living according to the instructions in this little book here called the Bible, what is one of the first things that you're commanded to do? What was Moses told to do as soon as they come out of uh, Egypt? What was one of the first things he was told to do? Set up a government. What? Oh, not just a government. He was told to set up a republic. Charlie, was he not told to pick so many elders and then go so many in this clan and all the way down to groups of 10 in the family and stuff? Yes, he was. Is that not very similar to the way the founding fathers arranged this country? That's where they got the idea. That's exactly where they got the idea. They follow the pattern. And everywhere Yahweh's people have gone, the very first thing they do is set up a civil government. And if you're reading the Bible, civil government is Yahweh's. That's God. You have the government today that you deserve. This is Yahweh's doing. This is God's doing right now. We're going to get to that in the second hour. Oh, boy. Let me tell you, second hour of this show today going to be rough. Be tough. That mirror's going to be steamy hot and crying. Or red and angry with veins popping out of its head. I don't care. It depends on which way you're looking at this. But, um, again, if the government's not going to protect you, It will devolve back down to yourself. But where we're at right now is you can only protect yourself individually on your property when you're paying property taxes. You can't form up a militia, not rightfully, unless, of course, the sheriff is going to help you or the local county government. And then a militia has to drill. A militia has to organize itself. You have to have officers and units and you have to learn military. That's what a militia is. It's a civilian military defense force. You got to be properly regulated, made to act, look, and be armed like regular soldiers. By the way, if you want to get into that too, the standing army is illegal. What? Yeah, the Constitution does not allow for a standing army. It prohibits it. What? You can only have a standing army in time of war. So the United States Marine Corps, the United States Army, the United States Navy, the United States Coast Guard, and the United States Air Force, and the United States Space Force are unconstitutional. But we're always in a state of war, Joe. Now, yes. Mm. But then again, when was the last time we had a declared war? World War II. Yeah. And the reason we don't declare war anymore is because the people sending us to war are not Congress. President, and that's because Congress wouldn't authorize the war, so you got to get around it. Yeah, which is unconstitutional, too, by the way. Well, War Powers Act, right? Uh, that's unconstitutional. Yeah, the War Powers Act is unconstitutional right. because it authorizes the president to do something that the Constitution says he can't. Hence the title today 
lawless government versus the founding father's way of doing things. Got another one for you. Oh, boys and girls, you had better pay attention to this. This is the Supreme Court poised to end constitutional revolution that's marred the U.S. governance for 40 years. They're going to take up the case that authorized bureaucracies to make law. This is also going to apply to the judges. If they affirm this ruling and say they can do this, again, the court will be saying the United States Constitution is officially dead. We seize power. We now are the government of Woodrow freaking Wilson. And the deep state is no longer the deep state. It is now the new government right out in front for the whole world to see bare naked in your face. Because there is nothing in the Constitution that allows a bureaucracy to exist. There is nothing in the Constitution that allows the bureaucracy to make law. And there is nothing in the Constitution that allows the Congress to make those bureaucracies and authorize the executive to make law. This is utterly violating the Constitution. Now, if, on the other hand, the court says and strikes this down and says, no, this has all been illegal. Does anybody know what falls with that ruling? Every law, regulation, ruling, restriction, everything that the bureaucracy has ever done coming out of the executive, every presidential executive order, all of them unconstitutional with the stroke of a pen, which is why I don't think the court's going to overturn this ruling. I think they're going to affirm it. This, folks, is the last nail in the coffin of the experiment that was once known as the United States of America. And nobody's paying any attention to this. Right-wing TV and radio is all busy with bread and circuses. This right here is the biggest story in the United States right now. Even more so than the election. If the court overturns this ruling... Obamacare is gone with the stroke of a pen. Everything, all of these, all of this crap they've done that puts legislative authority into a bureaucracy or gives the president the right to make law by executive order and every judge's ruling that's made a law by their rulings, all of it falls. It's all null and void. I don't even have to go to it. it it's erased. It's gone by rights. It's not a case of I got to go back one at a time and undo all those rules. They fall which is why the judges won't do it. And if they don't do it, congratulations, Woodrow Wilson has won. And you're now in a communist government of a sort. Look to California and see what's going to happen. A nation. Fun times, right, boys and girls? Now, I want to go through some of this before this hour is over. This is gun quotes for the 20 of America's founding fathers, the Second Amendment. Eh, it's not really gun quotes. It's quotes of self-defense. George Washington. I don't want to read the first one. I want to read the second one. And he, and that, the said Constitution has never construed to authorize Congress to infringe the just liberty of the press or the rights of conscience. Did I not tell you that the founders were always talking about conscience? That's the right of, of religion right there, folks or to prevent the people of the United States who are peaceable citizens from keeping their own arms, the people, not the governments, the individuals, or to raise standing armies 
unless necessary for the defense of the United States. You can't have a standing army unless it's necessary for the defense of the United States. If you're not at a time of war, you're not defending the United States. Or of someone or more of them to prevent the people from petitioning in peaceable and orderly manner the federal legislature for a redress of grievance or to subject the people to unreasonable searches and seizures of their persons, papers, or possessions. What is unreasonable? To search and seize without probable cause. This is George Washington in the debates of the Massachusetts Convention of February 6, 1788. Said also, Mr. Washington, this is a, a letter to Alexander Hamilton, May 2nd, 1783. It may be laid down as a primary position and the basis of our system that every citizen who enjoys the protection of a free government owes not only a proportion of his property, but even of his personal service to the defense of it. And consequently, that the citizen of America, with a few legal and official exceptions, from 18 to 50 years of age should be born into the militia rolls, provided with a uniform of arms, and so far accustomed to the use of them that the total strength of the country might be called forth at short notice on and very on any very interesting emergency. You want to tell me again how the militia is not the whole of the people? What did that man just say? Who was he? Oh, nothing. Just the first president under the Constitution that we currently enjoy. Father of America. I'm sick and tired of people telling me that the individual citizen is not the militia. He just said 18 to 50 and that you're supposed to basically be all of us, all males into the national guard. And did he just not say that you have a duty to do this? Now you have a right of conscience, which means you can object to bearing arms, but you do not have a right of conscience to escape duty into the service of your country. That's not what we're taught today, is it? <laughs> George Washington, did I stutter? No, he didn't. Now, we know that Mr. Jefferson has comments about keeping and bearing arms. Lots of them. Benjamin Franklin, this is, they that can give up essential liberty to, uh, we all know that quote. Democracy, well, we know that quote. George Mason, gun quotes. To disarm the people is the most effectual way to enslave them. Ooh. Now, maybe you know why it is that they want to disarm you. Oh, no, we want to stop mass killings. No, they don't, because the killings won't stop. People just use knives, baseball bats, and hammers. George Mason, I ask, who are the militia? They consist now of the whole people, except for a few public officers. And he also says that a well-regulated militia, composed of the body of the people, trained to arms, is the proper, natural, and safe defense of a free state that standing armies in time of peace should be avoided as dangerous to liberty and that, in all cases, the military should be under strict subordination to and governed by civil power. Why? Because if you do it that way, you don't get the military-industrial complex. It's almost like the people who founded this nation were prophetic geniuses. But no, they just actually read history and studied human nature. Now, you can go through a whole bunch more of these. There's a whole, uh, just so you can see the screen, going to scroll down. We don't need to go through all of them. Uh, 
Trent's Cokes. Y'all are going to read that one. Trench Cokes, C-O-X-E, gun quotes. Uh-huh. Go read that one. <laughs> He's only the co-author of the Second Amendment. <laughs> Matter of fact, let's do it. Some of you won't do this. As civil rulers, not having their duty to the people before them, may attempt to tyrannize, and as the militia forces which must be occasionally raised to defend our country might pervert their power to the injury of their fellow citizens, the people are confirmed by the article in their right to keep and bear their private arms. He's the co-author, and he's talking about the Second Amendment. Why does the judiciary have such a hard time deciding whether or not the Second Amendment protects the private right to own weaponry when the man who helped write the daggum thing is right there in the congressional record? This is in that book I've shown you about the argument over the Bill of Rights. That quote is in there. Why is this so difficult? The militia of these free commonwealths entitled and accustomed to their arms when compared with any possible army must be tremendous and irresistible. Who are the militia? Are they not ourselves? It is feared then that we shall turn our arms, each man against his own bosom. Congress have no power to disarm the militia. Their swords and every other terrible implement of the soldier are the birthright of an American. The unlimited power of the sword is not in the hands of either the federal or state governments, but where I trust in God, it will forever remain in the hands of the people. Trench Cokes. Why is this so difficult for our rulers to understand? It isn't. They do understand it, which is why they want to disarm us. Founding Fathers said, they disarm a people because they want to rule the people. Now, when you rule that the police do not have to act in such a way that puts their life in danger, they are no longer the police. They're Gestapo. Did you just call our police? Yes, I did, and I meant it. You have sovereign protection when you act in legal accordance with the authority that created your position. A police officer cannot violate the laws of the land in the execution of their job. So if it is against the law to lie to the police in an investigation, but the courts say they can lie to you in the process of that investigation, they are no longer acting as policemen. They're acting as Gestapo. Nothing in the government can do what you can't do yourself. You cannot lend something to the government. You have no natural right to do yourself. The government is not greater than the sum of the people. And yet our tyrants today make that claim. What they're claiming to be is God. So when a police officer says something like, well, I'm not, case in point the shooting in Florida a while back, that's still causing trouble, the school shooting. The cops got there and wouldn't go in. We need more police officers. Every one of them that waited should have been fired on the spot. No benefits, no nothing, just fired. You're not an officer. When you put the badge on, you did the same thing I did in the military. You wrote a check up to and including my life and the performance of my duties. 
You have children in a school that you will not let the teachers carry arms, so they are defenseless. Your duty, we've already covered this, Jack. Under our government, your duty as a law enforcement officer is to go protect them. They gave their right to self-defense to you. You get your sorry butt in that school, even if it means you catch every bullet in the fight. Better you than them. That was the job you signed up for. If you're not willing to cash the check you wrote, get your sorry butts out of law enforcement. Your job is to protect the people. And you're supposed to swear an oath to the Constitution, state and federal. Your oath is to the Declaration, the Constitution, your state constitution, not to the freaking government. It's to the rights of the people. Just as I will yell at a preacher that doesn't teach the word of Yahweh correctly, I will get my butt on somebody who wants all the glory and all the recognition and fame and thanks of a law enforcement officer, but you won't do the job. Quit. I know one former law enforcement officer of honor. One. He quit when he realized that he was no longer a peace officer but had been turned into a police officer. If you don't know the difference, grab your dictionary. One is a peace officer under a free and self-governing people. The other is a police officer under an occupying entity, force, government. One is Gestapo. The other is just a free citizen who has taken the responsibility to protect you on your behalf. We've got one person I know, and he's listening to us today. You have no idea how much respect I have for that man because he walked the walk. I was put in that position once upon a time. Our civil politicians told us to violate the Posse Comitatus Act, the Posse Comitatus Act. They were using the United States Marine Corps. On the border of San Diego, somewhere down there south of California, you know, South California border with Mexico was just south of San Diego. I can't tell you a whole lot about this incident, but I can tell you that we were taking fire from the cartel across the U.S. border. It's an act of war. And we were in an exposed position. Our job was to block them and not let them into the border. And we were not allowed to fire back. Luckily, nobody got hit. But we were told to sit there and get shot at by fully automatic weapons and not shoot back, even though I had weapons and I had ammunition and I could have easily ended that firefight. I was told to just sit there and take it. Guess what, cops? If you're not willing to put yourself in the line of fire to protect your fellow citizen, you're not, un- you're not worthy of the respect that, that you want the society to give you. You're not. You're deserving of shame and ridicule. Because that was the job you signed up for. And if I'm angering you, the Marine in me has one thing to say to you. Tough. I walk that walk. I signed that check and I offered it up several times. I have proven it. I'd do it again because I really don't care if they kill me. They're creating a world I don't want to live in anymore. Point is, I mean what I'm saying. Do you. When we come back, we're going to discuss the keys to good government according to the Founding Fathers. If you ever thought for sure you knew that the Founding Fathers did not base this country on the Bible, I'm going to put an end to that mistake in your mind. Their words, not mine. 
See you in six.
Okay. I'll try to calm down a little bit. I can't promise you that the Patrick Henry in me that you were just dealing with isn't going to be replaced by the preacher in me. Just for the record, Patrick Henry was a good preacher too. So you might get him back just in a different tone. Uh, <laughs> yeah, artificial intelligence. I saw that story, Mr. Holt. That'll be in Monday's show. Founding Fathers, our paradigm of government versus our lawless government today. The number one document that our founding fathers used to write our system of government, number one, the 1599 Geneva Bible, not the King James Bible, the 1599 Geneva Bible, the Bible of the Protestant Reformation. And then they used these two things. This is the uh, the laws of England, the commentaries of the laws of England by Sir William Blackstone. If you do not understand the importance of that, there's four volumes there. This is a big book. If you go onto Amazon, sometimes you can find the Kindle edition downloaded for free because they're in the common registry. You, you know, you, you have to buy them if you want them printed because cost of the paper. But Sir William Blackstone tells us that the pursuit of happiness is the pursuit of joy, the moral, virtuous, righteous life. Joy as Paul describes it in the Bible. So when Jefferson writes the pursuit of happiness, first of all, he's not the only, the first American to use that in reference to the pursuit of the moral life. There was another Virginian that had written that two years prior in the framing of the Virginia constitution, the state constitution. So he's, Jefferson was just very eloquent in the way he put ideas of the times together. This comes right out of Sir William Blackstone's commentaries. And if you go to your homework page, The Road to Concord, and you type in Blackstone, you'll find that section out of, there's a post in there with that section. Do we have a caller? Uh, we might have a call. Um, Charlie's dealing with it. Then you have lot. I gotta be me. <laughs> Good morning, Mr. Zinker. What's up, bro? Charlie, do you have him patched in? The music, it caught me there off guard. There we go. We're doing good. How about you, Jimmy? I forgot to press the button. Well. Sorry. All right, we're good. We got right, you fixed. Hopefully, hopefully, this signal will serve us well. If it doesn't, I apologize in advance, and I will relocate down the road. You're doing good right now. Okay. All right. The subject of police officers, um, their duty to protect. Um, and I heard the conversation last week when the fella called in and said he went to the academy and he was taught to put his safety above the rights of the citizen. I went through a police academy in Brunswick, Georgia in 1985 called the Coastal Georgia Police Academy. Mm -hmm. uh, in Georgia, we have a thing called POST, P-O-S-T. It stands for police officers, or actually it stands for Peace Officers Standard and Training Council. They oversee everything having to do with policing in state and, uh, and local agencies. Mm -hmm. And this was a post accredited post run Academy in Brunswick in 1985. This was a tiny police Academy. It had a director an assistant director who taught the classes and a secretary. Anyone who came else who taught a class to us 
was brought in from an outside agency who was a certified instructor. For example, they brought Luther Hires in from the Jessup, Georgia Police Department to teach us about accident investigation and um, traffic law. He was a certified post instructor, but he did not work for that academy. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. All right. What I'm saying is this was a tiny academy that basically there was three people there. And I like to believe that I was taught by the best men available to teach a police officer at the time at the best police academy because these guys cared. All right. What I was taught was that you have a duty to serve and protect the citizenry. You do not have a duty to commit suicide. You are no good to any citizen if you're a dead cop. Mm -hmm. And I think what has happened is that has been perverted into, you know, by, by some cowardly people that you don't have to risk your life. I risked my life every time I stepped out of that cruiser on a traffic stop. You never knew what you were going to walk up on. Yep. All right. I was also told by the instructors in that academy, um, the, the fellow, I, I admire him. He's a dear friend of mine to this day. He's quite elderly now. His name's Pete Peterson. He was, um, he, he was a police officer up north. He got shot in the line of duty, and he come down to Georgia and became the assistant director of the Coastal Georgia Police Academy. And um, I credit this man with saving my life in the field at least three times because he prepared me well. He told us that the guidelines that we operate in are laid out in the Bill of Rights of the Constitution of the United States. And he told us that if we violated those rights with any person that we dealt with, and it can be shown that we did it with, um, with malice, mm-hmm. in other words, with intent, then our qualified immunity was out the door. The police department would wipe their hands of us. They would get freed from the lawsuit and we would be left to stand alone and the the home that we lived in that we were buying would belong to the person that we offended while we made payments on. Mm -hmm. That's how I was taught. So you were taught to be a peace officer. Right. I was also taught that if I did a traffic stop, if I, if I stopped Joe Bakanovic out there on the four lane and I feel like Joe Bakanovic's up to something and I want to search his vehicle, I had four avenues. I could do a search incident to a legal arrest, which was actually narrow scoped. Mm-hmm. I could get your permission to search your vehicle, which I became very good at doing, yeah. convincing people to let me search. Um, or the old plain sight rule, there's the crack pipe laying there on the floorboard. I did that a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, or if I didn't have those three avenues, I could go and stand in front of a judge and convince that judge why, and he would want to know why that vehicle needed to be searched. And he would make the decision as to whether or not I would be allowed to proceed further. All right. This was 1985. Somehow between 1985 and 1990, I discovered that if I didn't have the plain sight, if I didn't have an incident to arrest, you wouldn't give me permission. I could step around that judge and I could call somebody to bring the dog out and let that dog smell around your car. And if that dog alerted on your car, and by the way, if I want to search it, the dog will alert. Um, I could take that car apart. There was nothing you could do but stand there and watch. Mm-hmm. You've basically taken the authority of a judge 
and overstep the police officer in the field who was too corrupt or too stupid to make the decision, and you vested that authority into a dog who doesn't understand the consequences of his actions. He only wants to please his master. Yes. That was one of the big problems that I developed. When, when that first happened, man, I was gung-ho. I thought, wow, this is great. But then I got to thinking about it, and I got to remembering what Pete Peterson had taught me, and it occurred to me one day, what's changed here? Because the Constitution is still the same. There hasn't been an amendment that I'm aware of that says we can search now on the word of a dog. Okay, Jimmy, what changed? The mentality changed. Bingo, the people. And that's where we're heading. That's where we're That's where I was going when you called. Yep. But, you know, we, we discussed these issues and I've been listening to you in the first hour. And man, that first hour went by quick. And I listened to what you and uh, I'm embarrassed because I've got a mental block on his name that called in the other day. Aaron. Aaron Spikes. Aaron Spikes. Um, I listened to what he said the other day. And um, I made this Firefly connection in 1987. They closed our little police academy post just shut it down. Yeah, I wonder why. And and after 1987, when the local police agencies in that area of Georgia trained recruits and rookies, they sent them to the police academy in, in Savannah, a big city academy. And after that, we started noticing, those of us that were old school cops, we started noticing a totally different kind of cop coming out of the academy. And we really had to watch our own backs around them because they would knife us in the back. Yep. Just like we've made different types of citizens coming out of our schools. Exactly. John freaking Dewey. So when we discuss these things, you know, Joe, there's, there's, and I don't disagree with anything you've said, but there's always more complications and complexities than we have the the time at any given moment to actually dwell into. No, I understand. um, The abstracts. Yes. So what I'm saying is let's be careful and not confuse, um, risking our lives with committing suicide i never said that no you you didn't you didn't but i said risk your life now that officer down there in florida he arrived on that scene and there was shooting going on in that building i would have gone in i was taught that when the when the killing is in the act of happening you have to get involved Mm -hmm. that's what i was taught at that little police academy But I was also taught, do not commit suicide. Do not take an action that you know is going to result in your death and you're not going to help it. All right. Well, okay. This is where I sometimes get myself in trouble. When I tell you that you need to go in there and run to the sound of the guns if you're an officer or or a Marine. If I tell my Marines, hey, you know, they're shooting over there, go find out. I'm assuming, and I know how we spell assumption. But I have to rely on every Marine officer and NCO that was in that Marine that I just ordered. Go find out what the gunfire is about. I have to assume that I got to rely on the fact that every Marine before trained that man right. Just like a police officer going into that. You've been trained correctly. You've got to go. But that doesn't mean you run out and say, hey, shoot me. I mean, come on now. I'm not being stupid here. It may be that the only thing that officer can do. Can't stop the shoot. Can't can't do anything other than to ascertain. Okay, I got one shooter, and this is where he's at. This is how many people he's shooting at. And go back out and tell the people who are showing up what's going on. That may be the only thing you can do. You don't know until you get your eyeballs into the situation, and you can snoop and poop around the corner. You keep yourself safe. A dead cop is of no purpose or use to helping the the people who are being shot. You have to keep yourself alive. 
it's yeah, what possible. I understand came out earlier or, or came out early in this thing was that this this cop cowered behind a car and wouldn't do anything. That is what nothing. happened. And I he responded, said that he wouldn't go in because he was afraid for his life. Yep. I responded to a call one morning just before I was to get off duty. I was to get off at six. I get this call at like 545 and I get there and this woman is hysterical. Uh, she hadn't sent her friend in a few days. So she come to check on her. She said, I walked in her front door and she said, there's blood everywhere. All right. So I waited for my backup to arrive and then we entered the house and what we found was a murder suicide. So, you know, you, you methodically approach these things and you do it in such a way is that, you know, you do it the way you can, you can control the situation. No, I understand. I understand. There was, there's an incident where I got shot at one time. And the first thing I did was jump down behind a berm, then pop my yep. head up to ascertain what the situation was. And the second time I popped my head up, I resolved the situation. Yeah. But yeah, I understand that. I yeah, get it's no that. different with you guys in the military, but yeah, you know, a just, dead Marine is not very good to the rest of yeah, us. Yeah. The concern that I just want to, to voice, um, kind of against the grain, I guess, but, uh, you know, for the right reasons is that, Jumping down, cowering behind an ob obstacle is not necessarily being cowards. That's not cowering if you're taking cover. Cowering behind a car and, mm -hmm. and when there's no fire coming at you and you don't even see the perp or the shooter, and you just hear it in the building and you're not going to go find out what's going on, that's cowardice. Yep. You have to at least ask, do what you can to ascertain what's going on. Come on, man. I'm, I'm assuming that you're a, that if you're law enforcement, I'm assuming you've got a brain in your head. Okay. No, I don't have a brain. I, think I have you, a computer. I was told that, this morning that yeah. I, that I think like a computer's in my head. Well, that's cool. Cause that's actually a compliment. <laughs> you know, the people listening to your show won't appreciate that, but that you, you, you've heard I the think story. That, yes, I know. But <laughs> folks, the, the thing here is that that's actually a compliment. I'm assuming you can think for yourself. Yeah, and, but and I'm it assuming was, it, it you was know your job. At me as, it was hurled at me. Yeah, as I know. It was, right. Because what they were trying to say is you have no emotions connected with your thinking. Yeah. Well, in certain cases, it's good to be a Vulcan. <laughs> but also, but, Jimmy, would you agree with me that this is why you put your hours in training? So that when the why. situation comes, you react instinctively. But it's very easy for people with with bad intent to pervert things yeah. so that when a cop is taught to protect himself first, then that automatically means he's taught not to protect the citizens. Yeah. Well, now, you know, the, the, know the Supreme court that. ruling, notwithstanding, that's not the way I was taught. Yes. But that, that is what the Supreme court meant. The Supreme mm -hmm. court meant that the police officer has no duty to put themselves in any type of peril. They basically said that all you have to do is show up, collect up the bodies, collect the evidence, and then try to catch the bad guy later. Okay, that's fine. I've got no problem with that. But you're not going to take my gun if that's the society I'm going to live exactly. in. Exactly. Because right, you're no longer doing the job you were told to do. So, right. All right. You can't. What they want to do is they want to have their cake and eat it too. They want us to be serfs, but they don't want to take care of us when we're serfs. Bingo. And they don't want you have the ability to defend yourself against them. Oh, no, because then I'm not a serf. As long as I got my free will, as long as I can defend myself against you, I'm not your slave. Or if you can provide for your own sustenance. Right. Yep. Same thing. Yep. There it's all go. relevant. Yes, sir. Or all relative. Good call. Okay, brother. buddy. Continue on. I'm going to get out of the way because I'm enjoying the hell out of this show and I don't want to take up the time. You're good. Good call. All right. See you. Mm -hmm. All right, folks. I found what I was hunting for for you.
and I put it in the comment section and then everything. This is uh, from your road to Concord and it is the pursuit of happiness under natural law. You come down and there's Mr. Blackstone's commentaries. This is commentary of natural law of the Commonwealth of the United Kingdom of England. And this is from 1765. This was the law of the colonies. Common law today comes directly from these documents and they are still relevant in a courtroom today. This commentary is the basis of natural law. It was the second best-selling book in the colonies at the time of our founding. It was superseded only by the Bible. That means the commoner bought and read this book. Mr. Blackstone says, when the supreme being formed the universe and created matter out of nothing, he impressed certain principles upon that matter. When he put the matter into motion, he established certain laws of motion. If we farther advance to vegetable and animal life, we shall find them still governed by laws. The operation of inanimate and organic processes are not left to the chance or the will of the creature itself, but are performed in a wondrous involuntary manner and guide by unerring rules laid down by the creator. Man, considered as a creature, must necessarily be subject to the laws of his creator, for he is an entirely dependent being. And consequently, as a man depends absolutely upon his maker for everything, it is necessary that he should in all points conform to the maker's will. This will of the maker is called the law of nature. He also further goes on the doctrine thus devolved, we, we call the revealed or divine law, and they are to be found only in the Holy Scriptures, the Bible. These precepts are founded upon comparison, found upon comparison to be really a part of the original law of nature. This is Romans 1 and 2. And then the moral precepts of this law are indeed of the same original with those of the law of nature. The revealed law is the law of nature expressly declared to be so by God himself. Upon these two foundations, the law of nature and the law of revelation depend all human laws, the law of nature and the law of God. And if you go into the rest of that writing, you will see that he calls this the pursuit of happiness. Bringing yourself into alignment with your creator's will. That's there. That's what the founders meant by all of this. That's what they meant by the pursuit of happiness. That's what they're getting at. And it's in their writings. You just got to go read it. And one of the best places to get it is right there. Keys to good government. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. You just go to Amazon. It's in your homework. You just go to your homework right here. And uh, let's see. We got to go up. We got to go back to the home. We pick up today's notes. We go all the way to the bottom. And you see the link. Keys to good government right there. So all you got to do is open it up. And look. Blackstone's commentaries on the law, two links that you can get them for free. You can download them free, PDFs. You can read them all you want. I happen to have a copy of this book by David Barton. He writes out here, says the declaration um, is uh, telling us that a form of, it's from the biblical standpoint, the purpose of government is to reward the righteous and punish the wicked. Goes into that. Where do we get that from? Well, that's uh, William Penn, one of the founding fathers. He says, government, like clocks, go from the motion of men, the motion that men give them. Wherefore, government rather depend upon men than men upon governments. Let men be good, and the government cannot be bad. But if men be bad, the government will never be good. I know some say, let us have good laws, no matter what form from the men uh, form the men to execute them. 
He says, but let them consider that though good laws do well, good men do better. For good laws may lack good men, but good men will never lack good laws, nor allow bad ones. What Penn's arguing is essentially Proverbs 29.2. When the righteous rule, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. Now, what the founders are going to tell us here in this book is that if you've got a wicked government, it's God's doing. Why? Because the people have gotten wicked. In a representative republic, the people will not have a bad government as long as they're good. If the people are wicked, you'll have a bad government and there's nothing you can do about it because the people are wicked and the government reflects the people. That's what they're getting to here. And we have that in this little bitty book. It's just a little bitty book. It's nothing but the founder's words over and over again. And no, I don't have the quote here. If you go to your homework, you'll find that. Then in the very top, there's a section on the founder's words about the necessity of the Christian Bible in, in the founding of a free, free people, free and self-governing people. Noah Webster, he's called America's schoolmaster. He is a founding father. You don't know about him probably. There's a reason you probably don't know about him. If you read Noah Webster's writing, you're not going to be able to avoid my understanding of the founding. You're, you, you, they cannot get you to believe the lie they want to sell you if you're reading Noah Webster. And Noah Webster basically argues what makes a good citizen is the same thing that makes a good Christian. He says what makes a good Christian makes a good citizen. What makes a good citizen makes for a good government. So he's arguing that. Well, Noah Webster is going to be prominent here in a few minutes. but first. <clears throat> the First Amendment separated church and state, correct? At the time of the founding, the Delaware Constitution, every person, Delaware Constitution at the time of the founding of this country, every person who shall be chosen a member of either the House or appointed to any office or place of trust shall make and subscribe the following declaration to wit, I do profess faith in God the Father and Jesus Christ, his only Son and his Holy Ghost, one God blessed forevermore, and I acknowledge the holy scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be given by divine inspiration. That's just one state, Joe, Pennsylvania. And it says, and each member of the legislature, before he takes his seat, shall make and subscribe the following declaration. I do believe in one God, the creator and governor of the universe, the rewarder of good and punisher of wicked, and I do acknowledge the scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be given by divine inspiration. That's only two, Joe. Massachusetts. All persons elected must make then subscribe the following declaration. I do declare that I believe in the Christian religion and a firm persuasion of its truth. North Carolina, no person who shall deny the being of God or the truth of the Christian religion or the divine authority, either of the Old or New Testament, or who shall hold religious principles incompatible with the freedom of the safety of the state, shall be capable of holding any office or place of trust or profit in civil department within the state. You want me to keep going? They all said words to this effect. How is it you're not a Christian nation if all the states mandated that you swear allegiance to the Bible in order to hold public office? And most of the states said that no infidel, non-believer, should ever hold office because they don't believe in punishment in the hereafter. They'll do whatever the heck they want here in the present. From uh, Noah Webster, says the history of the United States, when you become entitled to exercise the right of voting for the public officers, 
Let it be impressed on your mind that God commands you to choose for rulers just men who will rule in fear of God. The preservation of our government depends on the faith, the faithful discharge of this duty. If the citizens neglect their duty and place unprincipled men in office, the government will soon be corrupted. Laws will be made not for the public good so much as for selfish or local purposes. Corrupt or incompetent men will be appointed and will appoint themselves to execute the laws. The public revenues will be squandered on unworthy men and the rights of the citizens will be violated or disregarded. Founding fathers are telling us we are the problem. So we keep screaming for somebody to fix this, but we won't look in the mirror. Hmm. Noah Webster also said, if our government fails to secure public prosperity and happiness, it must be because the citizens neglected the divine commands and elected bad men to make and administrate the laws. Well, that's okay, Joe. I'm voting for Trump. He's a good guy. Is he? You've been listening to that man talk? Aaron Spike says, but Joe, separation of church and state, you know, removing Yahweh from government. Uh-huh. Bill of Rights, Framer Fisher Ames, a democracy is a volcano which conceals the fiery materials of its own destruction. These will produce an eruption and carry desolation in their way. It's our democracy, our democracy, our democracy. Yeah, right. Okay. Declaration signer, Benjamin Rush, a simple democracy is the devil's own government. Also declaration signer, John Adams. Remember, democracy never lasts long. It soon wastes, exhausts, and murders itself. There never was a democracy yet that did not commit suicide. Article 4, Section 4 of the United States of the United States Constitution says each state will maintain a Republican form of government. So as we have moved both state and federal toward a democracy, we have violated the Constitution of the United States. Well, Joe, just because we elect our republic, no, no, you should not be voting for the president. I should not vote for the president. The states should do that. The federal government is over the state, not you and I. We should vote for our governors, but not for the federal government. And then we shouldn't be electing the Senate either. The Senate was supposed to represent the state's interests in the federal government. We can vote for our congressional representative. He was supposed to represent the people for that state. The senator represents the state for the state. The Congress represents the states. The president is the basically the, the guy who presides over Congress. We have violated the very structure and form of our government, and we expect it to operate when we've taken away all of its foundations. And who is it that wants us to go to democracy? Noah Webster also said... Uh, our citizens should early understand that the genuine source of correct Republican principles is the Bible, particularly the New Testament and the Christian religion. And then we're also, he's going to point out the Blackstone's commentaries go into this here. There's several other things in this book I want us to pay attention to. It says, can the, well, we've got that from Thomas Jefferson, but let me see. I know I'm reading things and people don't like it when you read, but uh, let me see. Where is it? Oh yeah. Okay. We're going to get into one of the problems that happened to us when we started allowing progressives into our world is uh, the only means of establishing and perpetuating our Republican form of government is the universal education of our youth in the principles of Christianity by means of the Bible. John Adams and Benjamin Rush wrote that together. 
Yeah, our demonocracy, yes. But now here we go. The movement away from these principles came as a result of the destructive teachings induced and widely disseminated during the last half of the 19th century by men such as Colonel Robert Ingersoll and John freaking Dewey. Remember, John Dewey has said, the schools are going to usher in the new religion. Man is his own God. The teacher is the prophet. Listen to Ingersoll. We are laying the foundation of the grand temple of the future, wherein will be celebrated the religion of humanity. We are looking for the time when reason throned upon the world's brain shall be the king of kings and God of gods. This is Ayn Rand, for God was reason. This man is an atheist, and he was very influential. Ingersoll advanced two teachings to help achieve this goal. One, compartmentalization, the religious from the secular, and two, exclude a candidate's religion and moral beliefs from consideration of his competency for office, his or hers. He also says the religious view of a candidate should be kept entirely out of sight, and these things are private and personal. The founding fathers never said that your personal beliefs should be out of sight. This is a derogatory attack. You know, it's like, well, uh, when Bill Clinton got uh, impeached for sex, that's a personal thing. No, it isn't. Not according to the founding fathers. Noah Webster said we should know the character of our leaders. Thomas Jefferson said there's no such thing as public and private morality. They're one and the same. Uh, Washington echoed that. All of the founding fathers said that we should, we have the right to know the character, the private character and nature of the people we're voting on. But we don't do that anymore. I wonder why. Public character is no evidence of true greatness, for a public character is often an artificial one. Abraham Lincoln. One of the best examples of public character are the Pharisees. And what did Yeshua call them? Jesus called them hypocrites. What does hypocrite mean? Play actor, actor, pretender. He said they were whitewashed sepulchers, pretty on the outside, dead on the inside. I want to know your true character. I have a right to know that. But progressives don't want us looking at that. So is it not then in the glare of the public, but in the shade of private life, that we are to look for the man? Private life is always real life. Behind the curtain, where the eyes of the millions are not upon him, there he will always be sure to act himself. Consequently, if he act greatly in private, he must be great indeed. Hence, it has been justly said that our private deeds, if noble and nobles of our lives, it is the private virtues that lay the foundation of all human excellence. Well, let's see. Benjamin, whoa. Trying to see who, who was that said that one. It doesn't matter who said that one. He doesn't have the author here. Uh, oh, okay. Y'all aren't going to believe who said that. Benedict Arnold. Oh, the irony. <laughs> that was Benedict Arnold. The irony. So what are the founding fathers telling us here? John Witherspoon. He's a preacher at the founding he says, those who wish well to the state ought to choose to place of trust men of inward principles, justified by exemplary conversation or lifestyle. It is reasonable to expect wisdom from the ignorant? No, he's asking, is it reasonable? He says, fidelity, faithfulness from the prolific and from the unfaithful, and assiduity, diligence, notice how they use language we don't use anymore, 
an application to the public business for men of dis dissipated or careless life? It is, is it reasonable to commit the management of public venue to one who has wasted his own patrimony or his inheritance? Those, therefore, who pay no regard to religion and sobriety in the person whom they send to the legislature of any state are guilty of the greatest absurdity and will soon pay dear for their folly. In other words, they believe in an absurdity. What are we told about believing in an absurdity? I can send wicked and corrupt men to government and expect the government to be good. The next thing that follows is atrocity, and you'll support it. This is just, it, it's nuts, folks. It's nuts. And this, uh, yeah, we're, we're enough of this. One more thing I want to read here real quick. Webster says, Noah Webster, when a citizen gives his suffrage, his vote, to a man of known immorality, he abuses his trust, his civic responsibility. He, sanctif he sanctifies not only his own interest, but that of his neighbor. He betrays the interest of his country. No, he sacrifices the, his own interest and neighbor. So essentially what Webster's telling us is when we vote for Biden or Trump, we're, we're betraying our own interests, our neighbors, and our country. So who else are we going to vote for, Joe? Too late. We're screwed. But now back to Mr. Ingersoll, the progressive. Our government should be kept entirely and purely secular. So our fathers said... We shall form a secular government. The Declaration of Independence denies the authority of any and all gods. They agreed that there should be only one religion, and that was the religion of patriotism. Our fathers, our founding fathers, are the first secular government that was founded in this world. That's what the progressives said, that the Declaration is secular, and they declared a secular government, and they said so. I have never found that anywhere. That's not what we've been reading. It's not what the founding fathers said. I can't find anywhere where they say, in fact, we're going to have a religion of patriotism. Go look up the founding fathers on patriotism. They say the last bastion of the scoundrel is patriotism. They call him a scoundrel that, ref that goes to patriot. So what this man is saying is the founding fathers created this country on the religion of scoundrelly or scoundrality or whatever on scoundrels. On, on lawlessness. Comment on the board from Tolkas. Was he the atheist who used to stand on the stage and dare God to strike him dead? No, this man is from the late 1800s, Tolkas. Remember what the earlier on what we were saying, the founding fathers said that if you elect bad men, you're going to have a lawless government, essentially. It does what they want. If you elect good men, it'll be lawful. That's scripture. And for those of you who are believers, you better be careful with us because you know where that passage came from? Matthew 7, verses 20 through 23. Be gone from me, those of you who practice lawlessness. Well, I thought the law was gone, Joe. Yeah, lawless people have told you that. How is that any different? That's, that's, those are prog religious progressives. The founding fathers told you you have to have the law. They based it in the scriptures. The, the the I I don't know how to get any more clear on this. If you've been with me any length of time, none of these passages. I it's been years since I picked this book up. I'd forgotten most of them. None of the ones I just read are anywhere on the Road to Concord's blog page. None of these have shown up in. Wait a minute, two of these I think showed up in your quote section, but all the rest haven't. 
And notice another progressive saying that man is his own God. We now have Goodwin saying it. We have John Dewey saying it. We have Ingersoll saying it. Everybody that we think of as a progressive or a liberal today, Democrat, whatever, even if the rank and file doesn't realize it, they all think man can be and will be his own God. That's what eugenics is all about. That's what social engineering is all about. They're trying to remake the world so that it doesn't follow the principles impressed into creation by the creator. They all think they're gods. Now, if you have a country, and there's another quote in here I haven't read. I'm not going to go look for it, but it basically says that when we get to the point where we're at right now, society will break down and everybody will do what they think best. Charlie, the founding father said that when we all don't live by the principles of the creator, we're all going to start doing what we think best. Does that bring anything to mind in the scriptures for you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what, what would you, what's it bring to mind for you? Well, there's some scripture somewhere that says something about uh, the uh, intent of the human heart is to do evil continually. Yep. And then, Aaron got one of the ones right there with, I was thinking days of Noah. Noah. And then I think it's in Joshua where everybody did what they thought, right? Yep. There's a couple places. Before the judges were established. Lawlessness. It's a recurring theme. Yes. Where do we think the founding fathers got it? They, they're quoting the Bible. Yeah. Paraphrasing it, but they're quoting the Bible. So what they're telling us is, oh, gee, it's almost like somebody said that we were meant only to be our, our constitution. The founder's theory of government was meant only for a moral and religious people. And they said they meant the religion of the Bible. And if not the Bible, if have to be Islam before secular humanism, they meant it that much. And they knew what Islam was about. That's why we have the Quran in this country. It wasn't because we were Islamic. It was so we could learn the people that were fighting us in the Mediterranean, the Barbary pirates, so we could learn to understand them. That's why Jefferson had a Quran. All you got to do is read the history. It's there. Don't trust your history teachers and history books anymore. If it was written before 1980, and even then you got to be careful, but if it was a history book was written before 1980, it's probably garbage. Be careful. That's why there's a 1950s and a 1960s edition of an encyclopedia at my house. I'm trying to find a 1970s edition now. But you'd be surprised. The information in all three of those still agrees. If I read one today, very different. We're trying to change history in the real time. So where am I at with today? The government we have today does not represent anything that the founding fathers set up. There's no vestiges of what we have today. Other than the fact that we pay lip service to the old document we call the Constitution. We've divorced the Declaration even though the founders told us it's law, it's law. It is literally a legal document. It is written in the form of an international complaint that you might like, if it was written today, you could take it to the Hague. It was written in the legal language of the day and it appeals to the judge of the universe. God, Yahweh, the God of the Bible. And yet we have this, idiot Ingersoll who says that the declaration is totally secular. Why? Because it doesn't mention Yahweh's name. 
It is thoroughly Christian in nature. If you ever doubt it, there's two books sitting right there. The Christian history of the Declaration, the Christian history of the Constitution. We'll discuss them someday. They detail every passage in the Declaration of Independence and every principle in the Constitution and show you directly all the way back through St. Thomas Aquinas back to the Bible how it was derived in Christian theology. Christian philosophers, your science today was derived by Christians. It's science as we know it and understand it, real science, not the holy science. Real science was not possible until after the New Testament. Why? Because you had to change the thinking of men. And it was after the Reformation, when we broke free from the hold of the Catholic Church, that that was finally possible, when people were allowed to think in a way that challenged the church's authority, not the Bible's, the church's. And why were Christians doing science? Because they wanted to better understand the mind of the Creator because they recognized he had imposed his ways on his creation. So by understanding how his creation worked, we could better understand his mind and how he worked. It was reverence and fear, a religious fear of the creator. It was awe. That's where this comes from. I have done the research on all of this. I am not afraid of somebody proving me wrong. Not because, well, I'll bring out all these history books that say you're wrong, Joe. I'll bring out the author's that we know as the founders of science, and we'll just read their words. Same thing I did with the founding fathers. And when you find out that Sir Isaac Newton wrote more about the book of Revelation than he ever wrote about physics, and when you find out that John Locke wrote more about the book of Romans than he ever wrote about the treaties of government, you're going to find all of these things out. You're going to learn real quick. They were all devout believers. I'm not worried about being proven wrong. You can't. Not in this case, because I have the horse telling me I'm right, which is why. See, I, it's not about Joe. Joe's just being a faithful witness to what the horse said with his or her own hand and mouth. But you got to do the work. There's another quote in here. It's a little too vicious to read. It's one of the founders. Basically says that if you're going to sidestep your duty to do the hard work to look into who you're voting for and the laws that are being discussed and leave them to others to do you deserve what you get it's it says it's god's punishment now i lightened it up but it is it's vicious and the reason i didn't want to read that one is because that one strikes me right between the eyes it hurts it's hard to face Anyhow, yep, Water Jug, one of my favorite episodes in the Bible is when the book of the law was found in the temple and brought to King Hosiah. And what did they do, Mr. J Mr. Holt? The people immediately reverted back to the law as best as they could understand it and follow it. They didn't rewrite it. They didn't try to get around it. Not at that time. They tried to repent and get back to where they belonged. We can't do that in this country right now. We would but, need a great awakening. But that's that's why we do what we're doing right here, right now on this show. So that at least you understand. All right, Charlie, I pretty much shot my bolt for the day. I I I, I thumped both my podiums. You got anything for us today? Anything you want to throw in here? Any comment? No, I think uh 
I think he covered it pretty well. $5, man. If you can't donate to our donut collection, go go spend that $5 in, in Amazon and get your copy of this. Oh, boy. I cherry-picked through it. Yeah. Read the whole thing. <laughs> um, so what else do we have i oh oh boy i collected another dozen and a half stories today that were just like yesterday's that were on my feed today and i'm sitting here thinking oh we froze up 